This is That's Not a Story, a five-part podcast on what makes journalists tick and the world they work in. By the end of this series, you should have a good understanding of the challenges facing the media and why or why not a journalist might be interested in the stories you have to tell. I'm Rachel Williamson. I'm a foreign correspondent in journalism rehab, and I actively enjoy breaking unsolicited embargoes. And I'm Karis Palmer. I'm a journalism idealist, and I like to found media companies in my spare time. Welcome back, listeners. Everyone, journalists or not, has a gut feel for what they think news is. But it's not quite that simple. Today we've broken down the information you see in your social feeds and your news organisations down to news, ads and fake news. So what is news, Karis? Well, the textbook definition is pretty simple, a report of a recent event. I think that anything that's interesting is news. I think news is what people want to know and what people need to know. And news is kind of like that too, with each story describing a piece of the larger truth. But I prefer the Benjamin Bradley definition, which is that it's the first rough draft of history. Bradley was the editor of the Washington Post when the paper broke the Watergate story. While most people agree news has to be something new, how editors prioritise one news story over another is where it gets controversial. Oh yes, so screaming fights in the newsroom controversial or something else? I'd say screaming fights. Different editors and sometimes entire publications will place a different weighting on your typical newsworthiness criteria. Things like how big or how tragic the event is, if there's conflict, how timely it is, even if it happened in the suburb, group or country the news outlet is based in. Or does it play into an issue currently getting a lot of attention? As always, if it bleeds, it leads. Good morning. Welcome to Breakfast with Louise Minchin and Dan Walker. Our headlines for you at six o'clock. The number of people who have died as a result of the coronavirus pandemic around the world reaches one million. A child has been killed and two others critically injured by a car competing in the Donnelly Rally in our southwest. This is BBC One. We've interrupted our programmes for a news report. We now go over to Martin Lewis in the news studio. We interrupt this film to tell you we are getting reports that Diana, Princess of Wales, has been badly injured in a car crash in France. Rachel, you and I have gone head-to-head with people arguing the news is too negative, always so cynical. But ultimately, it's just reporting what people want to read. Bad news tends to dominate because people are drawn to it. Yeah, far more people read the story about Donald Trump getting covid then would read the story about a decline of COVID-19 cases in New York. And since the advent of the internet, we've been able to see what people are reading. So you've got click metrics like engagement and time on page, and you measure whether people are staying on the site or quickly leaving for somewhere else. That's called bouncing. And so all of this obsession with metrics, and I've seen it in quite a few newsrooms, means you end up with clickbait, or at the very least, clickbaity headlines. Yeah, but technically clickbait has always been around. Just look at tabloids and gossip magazines. Their headlines are spectacular for getting you to buy it or at least open it and have a look. But headline writing, it's always been a skill. It's something that I always feel like I need to work on because 
talented headline writers are just out of this world at what they do. Headless body and topless bar. Aside from bringing a smile to your face of just the sheer cleverness and audacity of it, I'm sure you realize that was a headline in a newspaper about an actual story and that there's only really one place a headline like that would have appeared. Wasn't in the New York Times, that's for sure. Wasn't in the Wall Street Journal, although if Rupert changes the Wall Street Journal in every way, it just might be sometime. But no, that is a New York Post headline. Headline writing is a formula, and it's a formula used to get people to click into a page, and that data of who clicks into a page is sold to advertisers. So that data includes things like engagement stats, like time on page, it's how much time you spend actually reading an article, and where you go on the internet after you click out. In the early days of the internet, publishers found you didn't like heavy news and you preferred cat memes. So content started to get dumber and started to get shorter and started to turn into lists. But things are changing now, as we'll discuss in later episodes. Google algorithms have stamped on pure clickbait by deprioritizing misleading headers. But that's why you're still going to see sensational ones or emotional ones. Because they might not be misleading, but they're going to make you click. And then there's the fact that a lot of advertising today passes for news. But now to the really important news of the last month, and Channel 7 had the scoop. First it was vacuums, then came hair dryers. Now appliance king Dyson has unveiled its next big thing. It's revealed the design of a personal purifier which funnels filtered air straight at your face rather than trying to work the whole room. Yes, a machine that blows air into your face. No wonder it made Seven's flagship six o'clock bulletin. You've got sponsored content, advertorials, straight ads, special reports, advertising features, and that's just on news sites. And then you've got other information or native content put out by companies and individuals putting out their own versions of news, and that could just be purely on social media. Full disclosure, paid content is how I make the other half of my living. So let's talk about paid content. What is it, Rachel? So paid content or sponsored content or advertorials, that's advertising. It's one of the many devices in publishers' money-making toolbox. It's PR, but different because the paid content buyer is in total control of the story. With PR, journalists still decide which parts actually go into the article. That sounds a little bit sneaky. In some cases, sponsored content is the only way for a story to get out. For example, small listed companies. There are a handful of small cap specific publications and even fewer that publish any independent editorial. If your story isn't super exciting or if it's complicated or if you're really small, the only way to get in sometimes is to buy a spot. Now that's not a bad thing. It only becomes a bad thing when paint content is the only thing that's published and when it's not labeled. But a surprising number of people outside the media don't know what a special report is. A special report is an ad in most places, but say on Reuters, a special report is a massive editorial investigation. So that's fair enough that no one knows what it is. And there's a lot of unlabeled stuff. So from 2017, ad standards said that in Australia you had to label Uh, sponsored content as an ad or face fines but there is so much unlabeled stuff in the area I used to work in so that's small cap publishing. I did a very quick audit of uh, a number of companies social media accounts 
and couldn't find a single ad hashtag on any of them. So that's leading to a lot of suspicion around content, business content in that case, but people are just less trusting in general, when even when a story is legitimately positive. Yeah, I've got to say as a journalist, Rachel, that sounds pretty grim. And then I guess we should probably talk about the sites that are purely sponsored content. So entire websites, which still manage to somehow deliver useful information and as a result have grown decent sized audiences. Some of the more interesting examples are Blue Notes from ANZ or the University of Melbourne's Pursuit website. Then there's the New Daily, which is funded by the industry super funds and also does straight news. I've got to say, I prefer entirely sponsored sites because it's pretty clear where their agenda lies as opposed to stuff pushed out directly on social media by companies, which is often just propaganda dressed up to look like news. But that's not to say any of this is fake news. What we've been talking about, it might be advertising, but it's still factual. The problem I've got with the term fake news, Rachel, is it's often used by people to label news they just don't agree with. Anonymous writers invent these stories, either to profit from the clicks or to spread propaganda for a government. False, completely false information that kind of perpetrates rumors, spreads misinformation with the intent of providing false information to consumers. After Election Day, Trump and some of his conservative media allies sought to redefine the term. To Trump, fake news is any story, any network that he doesn't seem to like. And all of the time, there's a lot of dangerous information swirling around that is simply untrue. UNESCO splits all of this stuff into three levels of crap. Disinformation, misinformation and malinformation. So just to run through what they are, disinformation is information designed to deliberately cause harm to a person or even a country. Misinformation is info that's false but not necessarily created with a malicious intent. And malinformation, the best kind of fake news, is info that's based on reality but still designed to inflict harm. There have been some great examples of malinformation, even in Australia. Whitehaven loses Malls Creek funding. AAP. Minor Whitehaven Coal has lost key funding for its flagship New South Wales Malls Creek project after the ANZ Bank withdrew its $1.2 billion loan facility. AAP published that story at 12.18pm. It appeared on websites around the country, including Yahoo 7s, nine MSNs and Fairfax Medias. In all those cases, it was posted automatically, without oversight, by their own editors or journalists. So in 2013, uh, some activists sent out a fake ANZ press release that said the bank was no longer lending to Whitehaven Coal's new coal mine. It was believable enough and tanked the coal miner's market cap by over $300 million. So what does this mean for you? Well, you as a consumer, you've got to read the mainstream media, as it's called in some quarters, because that's where you get your news. But you've also got to engage some level of critical thinking today. So you can pick what might be an ad, because these are no longer always labelled, and what might be fake news. You as a brand must be pretty strategic about what media and content you use, because you don't want to be tarred as trying to mislead your customers, investors, or indeed your staff. Thanks for joining us again. Next episode, we will be exploring how media makes money and what this means for you. 
You've been listening to That's Not a Story with Rachel Williamson and Karis Palmer. Our theme music is by MBB. 